So this morning, um, we're going to do a, a few things here. I'm going to try and, uh, I'm going to deviate a little bit. Last time I was up here, we went through First uh, Peter. This time we're going to just try and talk a little bit about the Christmas story. So let's go to Matthew chapter 1. And so Matthew chapter 1, um, it opens with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the, the son of David. And I'm not going to spend tons of time on the genealogy, but I just have to go through it because I found it super fascinating as I was studying it. I thought it was like, it's just one of those things that as you read through it and dive into it and, and get some context as to what's going on, it's just super interesting. So let's Go through it here, and we'll read right through the first genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So we've got a long list of genealogy. <laughs> from Abraham down to Jesus. And it starts with Abraham because if you remember in, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is promised that through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of Abraham's obedience. As Matthew goes, in, goes through the genealogy here, right at the beginning, he splits them up into nice little sets of 14. You got Abraham to David, David to Josiah, and then Jeconia to Jesus. Perfect, right? Nice little, four, well, wrong. We missed some people in there. As I'm sure you guys with your keen eyes noticed, you noticed the mustache, you noticed in there, we missed some people. What about our, th our three guys, Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah, right there in between Joram and Uzziah? And does the name Uzziah ring a bell? You know, Uzziah, of the many of huge names that we just read, Uzziah was the king who stepped into the temple. He was trying to be a priest, and, and bam, the Lord struck him with leprosy right on the spot. Uzziah, what are you doing? So Matthew skipped some people here and there. He skipped just to keep the genealogy nice and clean and, and concise. It wasn't out of ordinary for that day. Because um, if you try and go back the lineage over and over, you can get like, you could be standing there for 10 hours as someone's trying to recount the lineage over and over. 
So Matthew just cleaned it up a bit, kept it concise, and it's all good, right? Wrong. I know you noticed someone else in there that we missed. Between Josiah and Jeconia in verse 11, you see Josiah wasn't actually the father of Jeconia. Josiah was Jeconia's grandfather. And it was actually Jehoiakim who got skipped over there. Jehoiakim was the father of Jeconia. And Jehoiakim was a bad dude. In Jeremiah 36 verse 30, we see that Jehoiakim got a curse like no other. That if the interrupter is on the ball, will be up behind me. Jeremiah 36.30 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. Well, we got a serious problem here then. Because of what, like we read, it was perfect. I didn't even plan it. In the Advent today, we read about how David was promised the line that he would have a king of Israel all the way down the line. And so, if Joseph is the father of Jesus, but we have a curse on Joseph's line, how is Jesus supposed to sit on the throne of Israel if there's a curse up through Joseph? Well, what's God's solution? Well, we know that Joseph is not the blood father of Jesus, right? It was by the Holy Spirit that Mary bore a son, the virgin birth. We all know that. That's like, Christmas, they're probably learning that down in Sunday school right now. That's like grade one stuff. But you know what, me? I'm a hater. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a guy that's like, hey, I, I don't like this Jesus. I'm gonna, what's a good way for me to prove that Jesus isn't the son, that he's not the savior? Well, I'm gonna prove that, that this baby Jesus isn't through Abraham or, or through David. Joseph is through David and Abraham, but he isn't the blood father of Jesus. There's no way that Jesus is through David. There's no way. We proved it. You're done. Jesus isn't the king, right? He's, he didn't come from David. And if he did come from David, if you want to cheat and say it's through the, you know, it's the, it's the father-in-law, stepfather, whatever words you want to use, well, he's got a curse on his line, so it can't be him, right? Well, turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 3. Let's go there. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Oh, look at what we found. More genealogy. Perfect. Jesus, verse 23 of chapter 3. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Okay, you know what? Speed run. Here we go. We're going skip to some, skip some in-betweens here. The son of Heli, Metat, Levi, Melchi, Janai, Joseph, Mattathias, Amos, Nahum, Eli, Nagai, Math, Mattathias, Seman, Joseph, Jodah, Jonan, Risa, Zerubbabel, Sheltiel, Neri, <gasps> Melchi, Adai, Kossam, Elmadam, Er, Joshua, Eleazar, Joram, Matat, Levi, Simeon, Jodah, Joseph, Jonan, Eliakim, Melia, Mena, Mattathad, Nathan, David. <laughs> you know, we can stop there. We got to David. That's not bad. But it goes all the way up. If you keep reading, it goes all the way up to Abraham and then to God. And, and, but do you see what I see? So at David, at King David there, the last name I said, we have a split. David has two sons. Well, from what I actually figured out, David was busy and he actually had 19 sons. But these two sons are the most important that we'll get to. From David comes Solomon 
and Nathan, if you see there. Before David comes Nathan. Through Solomon, King Solomon, comes Jehoiakim, who gets cursed, and then the line goes down to, to Joseph. But through Nathan comes Mary. There's no curse. You see, this lineage is a lineage up through Mary, all the way back up to David and through Abraham. And it took a different path. It took the less noble path of King Solomon and the kings all the way down. You see, through Mary, we have a fulfillment of the prophecy, right? Through Joseph, we have a fulfillment of the prophecy. And through the Holy Spirit, we have, well, the Holy Spirit of God. So how can, how can you argue with that, right? We've got, no matter where we look at it, we've got it coming down from God, from Abraham, from David. Isn't God good the way he works like that? Man, that was awesome when I, when I went through all that and, and realized that there's no, there's no argument here between, between what we got. And I think when it comes down to it, we've got a nice little picture because I said, I think 10,000 names there. So I've got a nice, simple lineage picture for us to come up that will come up in four seconds. Oh, I was a little, not quite magic. We got Abraham, we got David. David crosses off Solomon, Nathan. Through Solomon comes Jehoiakim, Joseph. Through Nathan comes Mary. And like, that's all there is. There's a bunch of names in between there, but those are, when it comes to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, those are the names that we look at that are, I don't want to say important because no one's more important than other, but those are the names that we look at from what I just spoke for the last five minutes narrows down to one simple slide. So let's go back to Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter one. I just wanted to, that was kind of random. I just wanted to say that because as I was going through it, I just thought it was an awesome, just great piece of information to have. So today, today we're, we're going to jump into the man, Joseph, through, through Solomon, Jehoiakim, Joseph. We're going to look at Joseph, who's a man who, who sought after God. Joseph was a man who was obedient to God's commands. Joseph was a man who sought God, who found God, and then acted on God. There's going to be a little bit of jumping around today. It's not going to be right through. Um, it's not going to be right through like we're sometimes used to. We're going to skip a couple verses here and there, but I think we'll be all right because he did pretty good there going to Luke and then back to Matthew. So let's get into Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We've read all the genealogy, the lineage from 1 to 17. Let's go into Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now Joseph here, right off the bat, is betrothed to Mary. And what does that mean? What does that mean to you and me? He's, he's betrothed. 
Does that mean they're married? Are they are they dating? Are they courting each other? Are they like are they just friends? Do they do they like like each other? Is he like going to Starbucks like five or six times a day because that's where Mary works and Mary's like, whoa, you really like your coffee, don't you? Well, let me tell you what happens in those days of the different stages of, of where marriage comes into play. So first you got the engagement. The engagement is a time when the bride and groom, they're arranged to be married. This could actually happen quite young. This could happen as, as young as one or two even and uh, often arranged by the parents that the parents would say, hey, you just had a baby. I just had a baby. Let's get them together when they get old enough. So that's the engagement period. And then next you have the betrothal, betrothal period which is where Mary and Joseph are. Betrothal is the time when the two were old enough to be married and, the, and it actually made the engagement process legally binding. The, for all intents and purposes, in our modern way, they were, they were married. The only way for them to separate was by divorce. The only way to get rid of, exit the betrothal process was by a divorce, by going in front of um, leaders in the community and, and explaining why you need a divorce and this and that. And, and it, was a, it was a legally binding contract for all purposes. And then the third, the third process was marriage. And it was the final once and for all. After one year of being betrothed, they would get married and consummate the marriage. And there you go. You're married, man and wife. And so Joseph and Mary here, are, they're betrothed. So they're in the one-year process of, of uh, getting together. They say, yeah, you're kind of cool. I'm Kind of cool. It's, you got a sweet mustache. Let's get married, right? And, uh, and Mary comes to Joseph, and, and she's pregnant. And can you imagine that when you're, you're planning wedding preparations and, you're, and your bride-to-be comes to you pregnant? Man, I would probably pop my top, right? I would, it'd be game over. Done deal. But here we get the first look at who the man Joseph is in verse 19. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph is just and unwilling to put her to shame. Maybe Joseph knew of the writings of his great, 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 super great grandfather, King David, in Psalms 37. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it. Or maybe in Psalms 106, blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. You know, Joseph is a just man. He's a man who desired to show mercy rather than publicly shame Mary for, for what she, he thought that she had done. He desired to divorce her quietly. You know, right off the bat, first time we even see Joseph, I know I can't match up, right? Like, in my sinly, sinful, manly desires, when someone shames me or or does something to wrong me, I want everyone to know about that person that just wronged me, right? I want, you know, I want people to feel sorry for me, that that person wronged me. It's not fair. I, I'd probably, like, if someone wronged me, I'd, I'd, you know, go on Facebook and Instagram and send Snapchats out and take an ad out in the paper, and I'd go to Jimmy Pattison and get an ad on the billboards going to Seashell so that everyone can feel sorry for me and see that this person wronged me and it's just not fair. And, but Joseph is just and he's unwilling to put people to shame. He has mercy. Not only is he just, but he seeks the counsel of the Lord. Verse 20. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now stop right there. Don't go any farther. Just stop. As he considered these things, Joseph wasn't quick to rush into anything. He sat and thought. He considered the things that were going on. The Bible tells us that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Proverbs 19 tells us, Also it is not good for a person to be without knowledge, and he who makes haste with his feet errs. Jeremiah 17 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Matthew 15 tells us, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. See, the heart and the mind, are, they're fallible. They're, they have evil thoughts. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's not to be trusted. Joseph sits and he considers these things. He's wise and he doesn't rush into anything. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. You know, I can imagine Joseph sitting there like, as we read this, it's very quick, right? It's just like, boom, 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 one, two. You don't really think about it. But I can imagine Joseph sitting there just considering these things, going like, Lord, I don't, under- I don't understand why Mary would do this to me. Why would, she, why would she do this to me? It's not fair. It's just, it just doesn't make sense. It's not fair what's going on here, Lord. I thought I was doing what's right. I thought I was following the process he wanted us to do. And Mary goes and and does this to me. It's just not right. And he just sits and waits. And he considers all these things and and considers all that happened. And if you know me, Blake, I'm task-oriented. I like to do things. I like to just get in there and do it, right? I don't like to think about things all that much. I, I, I like to just go in there and, and just get to work and get her done. And when problems arise, we'll just worry about that when we get to it. I just try and like, like a bull, just like brute force my way through and, and make it happen. You know, what do, what do I need to wait? Around? Well, I don't need to think. Let's just get her done. The longer we sit and wait, the less that happens. But Joseph here slows down. He just stops and considers all that's happened. He, he knows he needs to be patient and wait. He knows that there's no need to go crazy and cause more disruption than there already is until one important moment that I think I can learn from. He hears from God. Verse 20. We'll we'll start at the beginning again. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In a dream, an angel of the Lord came to Joseph, revealing him, the desires of the Lord. Do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. Call the child Jesus, Yeshua. They shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. 
But verse 24 here, if you really look at verse 24, what did Joseph do when he woke from his sleep? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. You know what I love about Joseph? Is that he's quick to act. But whoa, 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 wait a minute. You just spent, I just spent 10 minutes explaining about how he's slow to act. What's the deal? Well, this was before he heard the will of God. As Joseph directed his heart to God, God responded and Joseph acts. That's the perfect formula that you see time and time and again throughout the Bible. You direct your heart to God, God responds, and you act. But something happens in between the God responding and us acting part, right? It's pretty easy to pray. You know, in the grand scheme of things, I sometimes think about this, you know, it's easy for me to pray sometimes, right? Like, well, yeah, I can sit down for five minutes and, and pray and it's easy, you know, pray about it. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll pray about it. And I sit down and I pray about it. And, but the part that gets lost on me is the acting part. I heard a great line, I think when we went down to the pastor's conference in Seattle, I think it was from David Guzik. Um, he said, are you praying for something that God has already answered? What happens after Joseph receives word from an angel of God? Does he keep on considering does he, does he pray and, and just ask for, oh, well, just a little bit more insight into what's going to happen. But God, what if, what if things don't work out? What if I, you know, what if I marry her and then what if people make fun of me because I'm marrying this woman who everyone thinks cheated on me? Well, what then, God, you know? No, jo- Joseph hears and then it says he acts. It doesn't say Joseph woke up and thought about it some more. It doesn't say Joseph woke up and looked for a second opinion. It doesn't say he woke up and heard, heard about a great tourism company going down to Australia so you can go on a walkabout and, and find yourself, right? It doesn't say that he went to the local psychic to learn about, read his palms and, and figure out what actually God wants. He heard from God and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Our boy Joseph is a man who waits upon the Lord and our boy Joseph is a man who acts upon the Lord. Let's jump ahead a little bit here to chapter two and we'll, we'll confirm that a little bit more. Chapter two, Matthew chapter two, verse 13. So as we go there, we're skipping ahead, we're skipping over the wise men a little bit here. So the wise men have come to see Jesus. Herod, King Herod found out about, about the birth of Jesus and, and sought to destroy the king, the future king that was going to take his throne. And the wise men have, have left. And, and verse 13 says, Now when they had departed, when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Now jump ahead to 19, just a little bit farther down there. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Verse 22, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father, Herod. 
he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Man, Joseph is an underrated part of the Christmas story, right? At least I think so. Four times in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Joseph was sent a message from the Lord in a dream. And, and in a time when the Savior of the world, a time when, when Jesus came down from heaven to be made into human flesh, into a helpless baby that needed care and leadership, Joseph was a God-fearing man that would wait on the Lord and then would act on the Lord. When we look at Jesus, we don't see much of him in the early years. We get the story of his birth, and then we see him again when he's 12 during the Passover festival, during the feast, and, and that's about it until he's 30 and begins his ministry that we read about today in the, in the New Testament. And, and what, time, what I sometimes forget when I think about the, the, when he was younger and, and the life of Jesus is that as much as Jesus was God, Jesus was also man. He needed someone to teach him things. He needed someone to potty train him. I don't think Jesus was born potty trained. He needed someone to set up play dates with other kids. He needed a human father to protect him in the world, to teach him how to work. Turn with me quickly now back to, a little bit back now, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. So now we're going to jump back to when the wise men the wise men have, have just shown up to Mary's house. They're walking in, you know, commonly mistaken as when we see the little nativity scene, everyone loves their little nativity scene and the wise men all around the stable. Well, actually, it's, it was actually quite some time later from when Jesus was born, maybe, you know, a, a year later, give or take some months. And, and so the wise men have come to Mary's house and they, they want to see this, this king that has been born. And as we read verse 11 of chapter 2, Look for Joseph in there. Look for where Joseph is as the wise men come in to see Mary. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So where was Joseph in there? We didn't see Joseph, right? Well, you want to know what I think? And this is just what I think. I think Joseph was at work. The guy's got to make some money for his family, right? Just because you got little baby Jesus in your midst doesn't mean you, you, you can just quit work. Doesn't mean you're going to be rich. These two were struggling, right? They were moving all around. They were moving down to Egypt and back up to, back up to Israel. And they're just trying to keep Jesus safe. A young mother and father in the world. You know, in, in that moment, I think Joseph was out at work. Joseph was a carpenter. He, he taught his craft to Jesus as, as Jesus was growing up. What kind of man do you want raising the son of God, the, the savior of earth, the, the child who will grow up to willingly lay down his life so that you may live, the, the, the sweet baby that will grow up to, to willingly hang on the cross so that, so that your sins may be forgiven, that nothing that we can do can change the saving grace of that cross because of a little baby. I think Joseph was a good choice, don't you? <laughs> Joseph was a man who knew that when it came to making decisions, he needed to be wise. He needed to slow down. He was a man who knew that his heart was untrustworthy. 
He knew not to believe in his own heart, but to direct his heart to God. He was a man who sought after God and then acted after God. When God spoke, Joseph responded. He didn't sit around and keep praying for an answer that, that God had already gave him. Joseph was a, a human father to the Savior, Jesus Christ. He taught Jesus, he, he taught Jesus what a godly man looks like, right? He taught Jesus how to work. You know, this, this holiday season, Christmas season as we come up, it, it's all about Jesus, right? It's all about baby Jesus born in a stable because there's no room at the inn. Emmanuel, God with us. And through that baby Yahweh, the, the name above all names, the highest name, that we're saved. That through Jesus, through the life, death, and resurrection of one man, brought from heaven down to earth, born in the muck and mire of a stable, that by the grace of God we are saved because Jesus was born and lived on earth as a man, died for our sins, and then was brought back to life. There's nothing I can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing I can do to, to repay God for what, for what he did for us, for sending his only son to save us from sin. But in the same way that Jesus f honored his father and mother while on earth, I strive to honor my heavenly father by being obedient to the things that he calls me to do. Look at the example of the earthly father that, that God gave us. He didn't pick some deadbeat dad to raise his only son. You know. No, Joseph was a man that was slow to anger and without haste. That is, until the Lord spoke and then Joseph was quick to act. He was obedient to what the Lord commanded him, and it wasn't easy. He, he packed up and, and moved his family over and over again, fleeing for his life. And if you remember the last time I was up here, I'm already smiling thinking about it, the idea of girding up the loins of your mind. I just couldn't get away from that. I think I'm going to have to talk about that every time I'm up here now. Remember the phrase, to gird up the loins of your mind, came from the idea of, of when they were about to engage in activity, they would tuck their robes up in their girdle. Getting prepared for action. They would get, when they were ready to engage in activity, they would tuck their robes up because they were worried about tripping over it or, or whatever. So Joseph had his loins girdled and he didn't stop there. You know, that he was ready for the race. He was ready for action. And when the gun was fired for the, ra the race to begin, he took off. He bolted. Rather than staying at the starting line, staying in the starting blocks like I often do, Joseph ran, and he ran for our Savior, Jesus Christ. How often do I say, and I, well, I'll answer my own question here. I say it pretty often. God, use me, right? Like, I'll pray, God, I want to be used as a conduit for your goodness here on earth. I want to spread the love of Jesus Christ while I'm here on earth. Use me, Lord. And, and when the time comes to be used, when God says, okay, you're ready and, and I'm preparing, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm, I'm praying and I get in position, I, I gird up my loins and, and the gun fires and what happens? I don't move. I stay in the ready position, right? I stay down on my hands and I don't move. While everyone else takes off, I don't move. So let's take a lesson from Joseph here. You know, turn your heart to God and consider all things until God speaks, that is. 
and then it's time to get started. It's time to jump off that starting line like Usain Bolt and do as the Lord commands. Let me tell you guys a story. Uh, just about the first time, I've got a few stories here. The first time I can remember that I really felt um, the Lord, or I felt just encouraged by the Lord to do something, and I, and I did it. And it was the first time that I really prayed for someone, and I, I just felt like the Lord was saying, hey, you need to pray for this guy. And it was actually at, uh, it was at Young Life Camp at Rockridge, if you guys remember. Um, I volunteered with Young Life for uh, three or four years a while ago. And um, so it was at a winter camp, I think. And we were, I took a group of kids up there. And, and near the end of the week, every week they hear a little bit of the gospel message. And, and at the end of the week, there's a bit of an altar call. And, and so what you do is if, if one of your youth that came with you responds to the altar call and, and they want to go for their altar call is like a bit of a, they go for a bit of a walk and the leaders kind of explain taking the next step of what it means to, to commit yourself to Jesus. And, and so I waited around and I waited to see if my five or six kids that came with me wanted to, um, wanted to go and, and learn more about what it means to follow Jesus. And, uh, and the whole time I was standing there, I was standing kind of at the back trying to look, you know, hold the wall up, not be too suspicious that I was creeping around. Um, in my head, I was like, Lord, please don't let this one kid go. <laughs> and it sounds stupid saying it now, but I was like, Lord, of all the kids that I brought, don't let that one kid go, because I don't know him very well, and I don't want to. And guess what happened? Yeah, the, w- the one kid that I was worried about was the one who responded, the only one who responded. So, so we went for a little walk, and, and I, just, I just couldn't connect with this kid, right? There's just, we just had diff- a little different personalities and whatever. It's, it's okay. I just didn't connect with him as good as I did some of the other ones. So, so there's a group of us, about 30 of us. We go for a walk. We learn about Jesus, and, and we come back, and I, I pray for him once, and, you know, do you want to accept Jesus? And he says, yeah, and so we go through that whole thing. And, and I, just, I just did the steps, right? I did the steps that they teach you. Of, well, do you believe Jesus? And blah, 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 you know. And uh, so at the end of it, though, I just felt God tugging at me, right? And he said, and I said, man, I got to pray for you again. Is that okay? And he said, yeah, sure. So I was relieved at that first start. So I prayed for him. And as I was praying, I was like, Lord, I don't know what you want me to say here. And I remember saying things that were oddly specific and and when we were done praying, he just looked at me and said, man, that was the most amazing thing because I didn't, you didn't know any of that. And yet you were able to, to respond. And, and now me and him have grown to an even better relationship than those other guys that I had before, right? I still see him around and, and I talk to him and, and it's awesome. And, and that's one time when I was obedient to God and, and I responded and it worked. Let me tell you another story. Um, some of you guys might remember a couple years ago when I started doing the youth here. We didn't have a youth group going for about a year, and, and I remember Matt talking about hearing winds of trying to get the youth group going again and this and that, and I, I remember looking around the church kind of being like, well, I'm kind of the logical choice, I guess. And, and I think, I can't really remember, but I think he talked to me. I think Matt talked to me and said, hey, do you want to do the youth group? And I said, no, I'm just too busy. I'm too busy at work, and there's just, I just don't have time. I can't do it. And then I felt God, you know, that kind of little pull, and, 
God said, no, you're doing it. So then I went back. I think it was a week or two, and I, I just had this nagging feeling. I just couldn't get it out of my head, and I prayed about it, and I thought about it, and it was one of those things where I think I prayed, and I heard God, and then I went, well, maybe I should pray again because maybe God was wrong. So I prayed again, and, and it just, you know, until sl- slowly I, I just broke down and realized, you know what, this is what God wants me to do. So I, I went crawling back to Matt, you know, and please, Matt, I know I said no, but let me do it. So he let me do it, and, um, and it was awesome. It was like one of the more fruitful times of my life, right? We had an awesome Bible study going, and we were... We, we coordinated with youth church and we had kids from all over the coast hearing the gospel message. We had like 60, 75 kids. Greg was bringing his kids down from Pender and we had kids hearing the gospel message and, and worshiping and singing songs. And, and I'll remember one night we were doing youth church down here and I remember the next, next day Matt going, oh yeah, I could, I could hear you guys. We were, had a band in here and I could hear you guys playing worship music from my house. So Matt was like way over there and he could hear the worship music coming out of here and it was just it was great, and, and so I was obedient to God. It took me a little while, but I was obedient, and I responded. Let me tell you another story. You know, when my dad got sick, I had this feeling that I was, you know, the man of the family now. I got two sisters, and I guess I got to be the man. I need to step up and start doing things that my dad would do. I'd, I'd mow the lawn and put up blinds and whatever, renovate the bathroom, you know, just casual whatever. And, but I had this feeling in my heart that I needed to make sure that my dad was, was spiritually okay, right? And, but if you guys know my dad, he's not, he's not like into that lovey-dovey. Like, he just wasn't into that. He, he, he was a man of God, but we didn't spend tons of time together in, in prayer. And, you know, he wasn't, we wouldn't like, Oh, let's, let's pray every night before we go to bed. Like, he just wasn't into that stuff. And, but I felt, a, I felt a pull on my heart that I need to go pray with my dad during this time when he's got cancer and, and scared, right? And, and I felt this nagging pull that I need to go pray for him and, and pray with him. Not just pray for him, pray with him, I felt. I felt like I, he needed to know that, that there's people with him praying with him and, and praying for him. And, but let me tell you, I got scared. I got worried how he would react. I got worried that, you know, maybe he might turn away and, and get even worse and, and not be into me praying with him. And he wouldn't like that. And, 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 you know, in the nine months that my dad was sick, I prayed with him three times. And every time that I prayed with him was when he was in the hospital. I didn't once pray with him at home. I felt the tugging of the Holy Spirit to go pray with him to go into the same room, to go into the family room and pray with him, and I didn't. I stayed down in my own room and prayed for him in my own room. And I was just scared. I was scared of the reaction of what man would would have on me being obedient to God. Let me tell you another story of my man Murray. Murray was a man of enormous obedience to God's calling. I'm a little sad that I only really got to know Murray near the, near the end of his life here because he's just, like, there's just no words for, for how awesome he was. Murray and Beth, if you don't know Murray, if you don't know Beth that well, man, in the next couple months, take her out for a coffee and learn about their story because they've got some crazy stuff that they did back in the day. They weren't just a couple that would 
be up here playing piano tunes. I'll never forget Murray doing, come on guys. <laughs> this is just great. They weren't, they weren't always like that. They were younger, cool people back in the day. <laughs> I'm, glad no, I'm glad they're not here <laughs> to hear me say that. So when they were younger, though, they, they were missionaries in Colombia. They went down to Colombia for a total of 10 years, ministering to the, the people in the church down there. And you know how they came to that position? When they were younger, Beth was a nurse, Murray was a mechanic, and, and they felt the call to go into ministry. So they quit their jobs, and they went to Bible school. And, and then they sold all their stuff. They went to Bible school and said, God, like, take it from here. We don't want to just hang out and make money and collect tchotchkes and do whatever and watch A&E every night. They want to be in the ministry. They felt called to go in the ministry. So they did, not that there's anything wrong with A&E, if that's what you do in your life. So they quit their jobs, they sold their stuff, and they went to Bible college. And while they were at Bible college, they went to a conference, and, and one night a, there was a speaker there talking about how badly nurses and mechanics were needed in Colombia. Now, it would have been easy in that moment, right, to just ignore that and go, well, Colombia... I heard Pablo Escobar's down in Colombia. I don't know if that's really safe. I don't know if I want to go do that. But instead, what Murray and Beth do, they, they heard and they turned their hearts to God and they responded in obedience and they went down to Colombia for 10 years. Murray, Murray was a mechanic who didn't even graduate grade 10. He didn't get out of high school. He was a grade 10 dropout. But by simply hearing God's call, and being obedient, those two have changed the lives of what I can kind of get out of them, too many to count. Beth was telling me that, that over this time that Murray got sick and, and passed away, that, that they've, been getting, they've been getting letters and emails from, from when they were there in Colombia, who are, used to be kids, now adults. They're getting letters and emails telling them how, how Murray was their only real dad how Murray took these kids in and like cared for them and taught them things and just taught them what it meant to be a man of God. They, they told her that they're, they're still singing the, some of the songs that Murray and Beth sang with them like 15, 20 years ago. Murray cared for those kids and brought them to Christ all because he wasn't educated, he wasn't this crazy, awesome guy who knew everything. He just simply obeyed God. He was a mechanic that heard from God and obeyed. You know, I'm in constant awe of, of and I have the utmost respect for people like Murray, for people like, like Brian Kolkman, who heard a call from God to go to Kamloops and like just packed up his, his family and, and moved, moved to Kamloops. Like that's insane. People like, like, like Amy and Ben, or who have moved to Indonesia, or, or, for, or for even people like my buddy Justin, who heard the call to get baptized, and now is doing it. People who have the guts to say, hey man, I want to pray for you, is that okay? Like, like when people hear from God and respond like that, that's like, it's awesome. You know, life out there can be hard to, to say, hey, I want to get baptized. If you say that out loud, you can, people are like, what are you saying? You're the dumbest person I've ever heard. Why would you want to get baptized? And that doesn't feel good to hear, right? <laughs> but when someone hears from God and doesn't waste a second to act, 
Man, that's awesome. God smiles on that. So this Christmas season, as things are starting to get busy and crazy, has everyone done their Christmas shopping yet? I've still got boxes coming in every day from Amazon. I'm an Amazon spender. I do all my shopping on Amazon. As you're doing your, your shopping and your crazy cookie making and everything, just think about if God's calling you to do something. Think about if, if you're praying for something that God has already answered. Be like Joseph and just take a second to consider. And when God calls on you, be quick to act. His calls on your life could be anything, really, right? It could be big or, big or small. It could be as simple as, as praying for someone. It could be, I mean, for some of you who don't know Christ, maybe God's just calling you to get to know him. Maybe you don't know the story of Jesus. You don't know how Jesus was born in a manger and was raised on earth and willingly laid down his life for your sins. You know, maybe, you, maybe that's your call to obedience this morning. It's just God saying, hey, surrender your life to me. I want to get to know you better. Today's the day, right? The gun is fired right now, and the race has begun. Don't be afraid to start moving. Jesus came to earth as a baby in the humblest of ways, wrapped in a cloth, and grew up to die on the cross for you and me so that death can no longer win. You know, I know my buddy Murray. I know my dad are in heaven right now. And why is that? It's because Jesus is one. Because Jesus died on the cross for us. And our sins have no more control over us. And Jesus wants you to be with him too at the end of your days. So as the worship team comes up, let's just pray. And I just want to be obedient to God too. I feel like God's calling me to, um, to offer that to you. In a, I mean, you always have that offer, but I just want to offer it again right now. So let's pray. And um, Lord, we just thank you for obedience, Lord. We thank you that you are calling us to be in a relationship with you. And Lord, if there's just people in, the, in this church right now, Lord, that, that feel that call and they, they want to respond to that, Lord, I pray that um, they would just offer themselves to you, Lord. I pray that they would get to know you better, God, that they would realize that sin has no control over us anymore, Lord, that because of you, we don't have to be afraid we don't have to be scared, Lord, that it's all about Jesus. I just thank you, Lord, for uh, this time of, of learning about Joseph, God, of learning about the, hev- the earthly father of Jesus, Lord, of how obedient he was to your calls, Lord, about how he didn't wait to act when you tell him to do something, Lord. I just thank you for that. Thank you for this time together. Amen.